Kiwi is still out, but just like the Sondheim song, I'm still here. That's right, the mixed reviews resident Scrooge Gavin is on the search for holiday movies I could actually get behind. That's me, I'm Gavin. I'm inviting ghosts of podcasts past and podcasts yet to come to join me to present to me one of their favorite holiday movies. Who knows? Maybe I won't get coal in my stockings this year. This is a The Mixed Reviews special presentation, Gavin's Holiday Gauntlet. Our guest tonight is new to the show, but I hope won't be a stranger. He's a writer and critic who's been featured in W Magazine, GQ, and The New York Times. It's Kyle Turner. Yay, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you for coming on. I've actually wanted you on the main show for a while, but it's such an imposition to invite. Like, our main show is about covering an entire history in one episode. Mm. And so <laughs> I, I'm always like, cool, cool, cool. Do you want to do a bunch of homework? Do you wanna... I love homework, famously. Okay. As an Asian person, I love homework. <laughs> I will keep that in mind then, because in the next year, in 2022, we're definitely getting you on the main show. But... Because you're, you've decided to come on and be part of the Holiday Gauntlet, I've asked you to pick a holiday movie, and I would like you to tell everybody what your holiday movie is, because it, so far, is the most out-of-the-box pick. <laughs> okay, so I will preface this with, I, I had to choose between two things. My first, my One of the runners-up was a five-and-a-half-hour film by Ingmar Bergman <laughs> called Fanny and Alexander, the first 90 minutes of which is a Christmas movie. And I do love that film. But I decided to go, like, a little bit more fun and with a little bit less, you know, depressing Calvinism um, and go with <laughs> a film called The Christmas List, which was made for TV in 1997 uh, for Fox Family or ABC Family. And it stars Mimi Rogers, Tom Cruise's first wife, and a great actor on her own uh, terms as well. Uh, <laughs> she is in a really great film called The Rapture, um, which is about like her, a, a woman who is deep in sin and then uh, becomes part of this cult. But anyway, The Christmas List is about. <laughs> I wish that was the Christmas movie. <laughs> thing, but... I picked for Christmas The Rapture, of course. Um, but The Christmas List is about a woman in her 30s who works at a department store. Um, as a perfumier or a perfumist. Um, and she is known as the nose. She has this uncanny ability to know exactly what perfume or scent is right for you or right for your loved one. And um, she is kind of unhappy with her life. She still lives in the apartment building that her mother owns. She's been um, dating this um, jerk for four years and he hasn't yet proposed. Uh, she just wants more from her life. And so her friend that works at the store with her um, tells her, why don't you just make a Christmas list? It doesn't matter uh, if you get anything. It's just being able to sort of imagine what you can have in life and what you want from life. And maybe those things will, will come to you naturally or you're, you'll learn to sort of appreciate um, the the things that you already have, et cetera, et cetera. And... Over the course of the film, after she makes this Christmas list and um, her friend makes her send it, put it in the little mailbox in the store to get sent to Santa, um, these random things start happening to her and she, one by one, starts getting her wish. In a way, it's sort of like the Christmas version of Into the Woods, but <laughs> maybe with a little bit of a little bit less of like narrative deconstruction. It's a... Uh... Yeah, it's a very um, unique movie, I want to say. <laughs> I, you know, I come at every movie um, 
as a, a reformed critic, but also a post-production person. I, I work in editing. And I've never seen a film so weirdly edited before. And by that, I, there are so many spaces in this movie that it's almost like... Um, it's almost like a sitcom, but they forgot to add a laugh track. Like right. specifically, the the part that stood out to me the most was the first time you're introduced to her mom, and her mom's like, "I brought this home cooking," and she's like, "I know you got it from the store." And there's this weird pauses between them both that I'm just like, "What? What's happening? <laughs> Why are you stopping?" <laughs> I totally forgot about dinner. This chicken has been in the oven for three hours. Not to mention the two hours of roast and roast. At least we know we won't be getting salmonella. What makes you think this is takeout? You left the salsa in. Besides, you don't cook. I was just talking with Cynthia Matola downstairs. I honestly think David Lynch watched this. Yes. In preparation to make Inland Empire. Yes. Yeah. It has that quality to it, right? Because there's something that's so, like, irrepressibly optimistic about Mimi Rogers in this movie, which mm -hmm. I, I think is, um, I, I sidebar, I love Mimi Rogers as well. We actually just did a Werewolf Sun film episode, and I forgot that she's the mom in Ginger Snaps as well. And she's kind of similar in that movie, like... Mm. When the daughters kill a person, she's kind of like, well, I guess we'll just have to bury him in the backyard and leave town. And mm -hmm. <laughs> she's like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she has this unique ability that like, even though she's she's in this dead end job because she keeps getting demoted for it's it's like unclear why her boss doesn't seem to to realize what a perfume genius as they actually do say in the film that mm -hmm. she is um she's dating this horrible man who like not only doesn't seem to have any chemistry with her can't seem to act mm -hmm. and she is you know li like you said she lives above her mom and it's this not necessarily oppressive relationship but clearly her mom has goals for her and she's mm -hmm. not meeting those goals right uh, there are boundary issues there yeah absolutely um, the, the mother, the Sheila Stevens. <laughs> Can we just, just talk about her briefly? She, I mean, she has a long, long career. You know, she, hmm. um, she was in Girls, 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 The Nutty Professor, The Courtship of Eddie's Father. Like she, you know, did a lot of movies. Oh, and The Poseidon Adventure. How can I leave out The Poseidon Adventure? She did a lot of movies in the, in the sixties and seventies. She, she feels like she's never acted in a movie before in this movie. <laughs> it's everyone, except for maybe Mimi Rogers, is giving you quintessential TV movie acting. Yes. But there's something strangely charming about it and very sincere about it um, that I feel is a little different than other Christmas TV movies. And I do like Christmas TV movies. I think they're really great passive viewing experiences. <laughs> That's a that's uh, a perfect way to describe it. Passive viewing, actually. I've heard that before, but I've never thought about it in terms of Christmas movies. And maybe I would enjoy them more if I, right. uh, you know, experienced no, I, them that way. I totally get it. They are, since a lot of Christmas movies and romantic comedies follow um, similar narrative and structural um, architecture, I think it makes sense that they both, their enjoyment is predicated on their predictability. And I think what's interesting about The Christmas List 
is that there's something that is not quite predictable about the TV acting for me. It's like slightly left field. It's not, um, it's not as straightforward as one would necessarily expect, or maybe it's like the really good version of something that you expect to be, uh, mediocre. Like if you're, if you're primed for like, uh, uh, we both live in New York, right? If you're primed for like, some sort of um, off-brand fast food, and then it turns out that you got Wendy's, which is still fast food, but it's like good fast food, in my opinion. <laughs> I'm a big Throw, Wendy's throwing person. that gauntlet down. You're <laughs> yeah, I think that's what ultimately makes this film so charming. And then you have Mimi Rogers, who is also a really good actor, has this irrepressible ch- charm, and has. Um, I think her and the little boy Danny have a real sense of chemistry, and I think that. Um, they are both able to locate the the real earnestness and the real um, tenderness that's rooted in like this idea of, of scent and memory um, as inextricable from one another. Um, scent and history, scent and personal history, rather. That's a, that's actually a really solid point. And actually, I I will say that you yeah you didn't even talk about this subplot. There's a subplot oh, yeah. in which a boy comes to her like fake Macy's and wants to um, buy a perfume scent that was the scent his mother used. And she ends up finding out that his mother has passed away. And he has this father who's engaged of of all people, by the way, engaged to Marla Maples, who at the time was Mrs. <laughs> Donald Trump. Um, but the, the, essentially this kid enters her, you know, he doesn't have enough money for the perfume. And so she gives him an IOU and pays the rest of it out of her own pocket. So he enters this receipt with her name on it to win a car. And she's going to split this car with his dad, um, until he's old enough to drive the car. And of course, because it is a Christmas movie, because it has those romantic comedy qualities, she starts to fall for the dad because he's a much better fit for her than this boring man that she's engaged or hopefully engaged to. And it's strange that someone who would be a better fit for her is like a psychiatrist or something. Yes. <laughs> but like, maybe really? that's what she needs in her life. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Data psychiatrist, examine those like mother daughter relationship things. Yeah, you know, love the, it. And examine like fully Oedipal complex here going on a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, because yeah. I, it's th- the scene that um, in which Danny is introduced and he's ha- buying this perfume. Um, Mimi Rogers' whole trick is that it, she will ask you a series of questions uh, based on on um, what the person you're buying for, what kind of scent they would want. So it questions like what kind of flower do they like, what time of day they like, et cetera, et cetera. So that they, so that she has an understanding of like what kind of base notes and what kind of, um, uh, I, I guess, body of the perfume is best suited for the person. I don't know anything about perfume, but I did just watch Perfume, the Story of a Murderer with oh, Ben Wishaw. Same, same thing, basically. <laughs> Can you answer a few questions for me? Favorite flower? Delphiniums. Larkspur, Breath of Heaven. Anything blue. Time of day, late afternoon, when the sun turns everything orange. Favorite beetle? Definitely John. Chocolate, yes. Cilantro, no. And pasta as often as possible. I think my boyfriend could take a lesson from you. Excuse me? 
I'm Melody Paris. Danny Schuyler. Nice to meet you. So she does that quiz with the little boy, with Danny, and she gets the first two wrong, and then finally she gets the third one, third, third time's a charm, and he grabs her wrist when she puts, like, the little paper with the scent, uh, with the perfume on it. She grabs, uh, he grabs her wrist, and that moment, the music swells, but it's actually quite touching, um, and it can, it's played both as, like, this... Um, I think accumulation of memory and grief, but also this unspoken connection between the two. And like, if I'm being cynical and kind of snarky, yes, uh, I will project onto this, like this weird Oedipus sort of dynamic. Um, but I, I think there's, there's something like very, sweet about that scene um really i feel like both performers know or have an understanding of the power of smell and scent as a way to to unlock um deeper part of the uh, deeper parts of themselves and what they want and and what they want both from their past and their future and I will say the I actually do think the strongest thing in the film is the relationship between her and this kid because she's not it's weird because she doesn't bring a motherly energy to it but there is something very symbiotic about their relationship mm. i guess like it's it's almost like this kid came into her life at the perfect time she needed him as both this this person who was going to point her towards her new direction but mm-hmm. also you know, just a, a sympathetic ear. Cause she does, she has a friend in this movie, but their scenes are often just like playful. And, you know, until, until the end when her friend helps her out by proving she's the real, there's so much that happens in this movie by proving <laughs> she's the real nose, as opposed to her work rival who keeps getting promoted over her. And I, you know, I, I do think that I really like that relationship because she's, you know, she's never, it's it's never, you know, like a juvenile thing. She never talks down to him. She treats him like an adult. And I think mm-hmm. that's sort of the key to why this aspect of the film actually does really work. Right, right. There is, I think, a mutual respect there. And yes. he doesn't, she doesn't infantilize him. He doesn't sort of box her in as a mother figure either. It's like they're, it's like she is an older friend of his. And I think yeah. that, I think that's like relatively rare um, in across most genres to have this sort of intergenerational friendship that isn't predicated on sort of uh, relegating either character into a familial role. You said earlier, if I could be cynical, one of the things I think is really impressive about this movie is there is no cynicism anywhere in it. It, Everything Mm -hmm. is played very straightforward, no matter how Mm -hmm. silly. One of my favorite conceits in the film is anytime anything happens that occurs on her wish list Uh, there's like a moment where there's a weird digital santa hat placed (laughs) over the head of each character so much so that it even happens to her mom because she used one of her wish list her christmas list wishes to give herself a more traditional christmas Mm -hmm. and her mother appears to her in the the santa type hat but once again the movie's not (laughs) the movie's never like isn't this silly or isn't this strange? It's just like, 
well, this is something that's happening and you should yeah. just go with it. I guess I should ask, when was the first time you saw this movie? I really couldn't tell you like a specific time. It is, it's almost as if this movie has always been in my life, <laughs> at least since 1997. Um, is there a chance going... you wrote a list and asked for it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, my mother and I would watch uh, ABC slash Fox Family is 25 Days of Christmas every year um, when I was growing up. And this was on its on the regular schedule. Uh, and so I would I would say that around 97, 98 is probably when I saw it um, because it was just very comforting. It's a it's a good comfort movie. It's it is not super intellectually demanding but it's also for i think maybe maybe this is uh too disdainful of other made for tv movies but i also don't feel that it's condescending to the audience i think it is it knows what it is and it takes a bit of pride in what it is and i like that and yeah it's it's, it's never you know it's weird because it certainly does follow a formula but because there's so much happening in it, there's so many disparate little plots and they do find a way mm. to wrap up. They do. But there there is so many characters to follow that are around Mimi Rogers orbit that it doesn't it doesn't feel like, you know, you know, she's not like a big time lawyer who's gone to a small town to shut down an inn or anything. Mm. It doesn't mm. seem to follow that basic thing that I think everybody sort of gloms onto for Hallmark movies. And I do wonder if the prevalence of those Hallmark movies or, you know, even the the 25 Days of Christmas movies is that people are comforted by the repetitive nature of them. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. The, and, the, and so, like, this doesn't really have that, even though it is very much a Christmas TV movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it deviates from that formula while also retaining... Um, I think the the straightforward earnestness of that genre is what makes it both comforting and a little bit surprising. Like there's there is a lot going on in this movie. There's so much going on. There's so much going on. I, I um, was a little sh- shocked because I was trying to when you did the the synopsis. I was like, yeah, that all happens, but also so much more happens, and it's <laughs> it's like barely an hour and a half. Right. And in spite of the fact that um, there is a lot of plot, I don't feel that it's top-heavy or or right. totally convoluted. I think it. I think it is as straightforward as a film with this many different subplots can be, and I I do think that it it is able to to get away with that through the charm of its cast. Absolutely. The and I mean more than anything through the charm of Mimi Rogers alone. Right. She has the, like I you know like I said there, there's this optimism there's this this happiness you know even there's a scene where she cashes out her Christmas club which by the way the fact that they even talk about Christmas club in a movie was I blew me away because I grew up of like of not a lot of means so I know what a Christmas mm. club is uh, huh. and. Um, when they cash it out and there's the whole like, well, it's $5,000 and she's just like, you know, disbelief, but she's like, I'm not going to fight it. I'm just going to, just going to take <laughs> the money and just le- not going to be like, no, no, please. That's not mine. Nope. That is, that is my money. <laughs> Do, does Christmas club still exist? 
I don't think so. I mean, I haven't heard anybody mention it in a long time, but it's definitely very much an 80s, 90s staple. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. I know so many people who did that growing up. But anyways. <laughs> uh, anyways. Um, yeah. There's something in her voice. It's um, it's almost feather-like in a way. Oh, that's a great way of describing it. I mean, you sound like a writer. Uh, <laughs> I should try it out sometime. Maybe. <laughs> No, that's, that's very, it's very true. It's like soft and, but, but there are moments where she gets, you know, there's the moment where she finally does actually, I don't want to say finally, because there's a moment where she breaks up with her possible fiance and then he still comes back at the end. And I was like, (laughs) this guy cannot take a hint, Uh, but she breaks up with him at a restaurant by, by stabbing a creme brulee several times and then throwing it in his lap. But prior to that, she does get passionate. And yeah. it's funny because she's not she's not giving like like, oh well, I I guess it's it's very different from what she's normally doing, and yet at the same time still feels completely in continuity with her character. Absolutely. I'm thirty-five years old. I would like to move out of my mother's apartment building. I would like to have a baby. Now, I can't have a baby until I get married. And I can't get married until we have our nest egg. And we can't have the nest egg until we save enough money for the retirement fund. And we can't save enough money for the retirement fund unless I stay in my crummy little apartment for another two years. At this rate, I might as well wait until I retire and just stay right where I am. People are looking at you. It's not like she's doing like um, chaotic histrionics. On yes, screen. it's it seems like this is how this character would react when she's angry or upset or hurt, and um, you can see that logical escalation from the first time that they have a fight in the car. Um, she's driving the, I believe Ferrari yes. that sh- that she's sort of kind of won and he's being um, misogynistic um am i allowed to swear on this podcast yeah go ahead he's being a misogynistic dick um and trying to sort of get away with showing the car around as if it is his and not something that she technically won um and she she that seems to almost be the camel I'm sorry, the straw that breaks the camel's back. But then there's another confrontation, as you're saying, at the restaurant where she uh, dumps creme brulee um, in his crotch. And then she breaks up with him again when he finally proposes. Um, and it's like this escalation and then this this realization and, um, I guess, resignation to understanding that... that he really doesn't understand her. He really doesn't understand what her wants and needs are and that he will only respond to what he thinks he has to do as opposed to, as opposed to really engaging with her as a partner. That's true. He does seem to take any obstacle that she throws in his direction as sort of a playing hard to get, which it's very clear from the character that she lays out pretty much from moment one in the movie that's not her. <laughs> that's, right. She, 
she'll tell you exactly what she wants. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this is, it's such a fascinating, uh, I, I think it's like a sort of a fascinating artifact of a, of a way that people don't make TV movies anymore. I feel like this, yeah. this couldn't be made nowadays. And I think part of it, because it is so earnest and mm-hmm. like, it's silly and campy, but also, ha- you know, has a heart that's, much more solid than just being, you know, your average love story. Mm. Um, I did want to bring up director Charles Jarrett is a, he's a veteran of this industry. He directed one of my favorite films of the seventies, Mary queen of Scots. Um, and you know, he directed Anne of a thousand days and lost horizon. So it's, it's very strange to me that this man in the nineties was directing this because once again, it's staged in such an odd manner. <laughs> like the the way that they pull back on her apartment whenever she's talking to her mom, I'm like, there is this is a big sound stage. Like there is so much room in her apartment. So much room. And the lighting is interesting. Yeah. In that apartment. It almost feels like those were sets built for something else and they were just like, <laughs> I I mean, I guess we'll make a movie here. Yeah, yeah. And she has so many candles in her bedroom. I'm jealous. I'm very envious. It's like she definitely took advantage of Bath and Body Works Candle Day, (laughs) which was as of this recording last week. (laughs) I, yeah, when when the camera, and and admittedly the best camera angle in the movie, when the camera is behind the candles and she's Mm -hmm. writing her Christmas list in the bed, I was like, are those real candles <laughs> i was like she's gonna burn that that apartment down like i was like actually nervous for her but luckily she makes it through that yeah <laughs> and wh- one other thing i i want her i to be happy i want her to get what she wants but like a mild question i have is like how much could you possibly want or how much could you possibly need when you are using like a fountain pen <laughs> to write yes. your Christmas list? I know. Well, that's the thing is I, I will admit it, because obviously it's a movie. So a character has to start in one place. A character has to end in another place. Usually movies are about growth. They have a character's right. journey, but I will say this, even though, you know, she could dump that guy that might improve her situation. She's good at her job. So maybe mm-hmm. she could find another job in which and then, like, her relationship with her mom's not that tortured. So, like, I was like, she seems pretty okay. So it's a person right. who moves from, like, okay to even better in their life. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think we all want that for ourselves. Yes, we, we, exactly. want to be, we want to be starting where she is and then getting to, like, where she wants to go, even though many of us are, like, at varying places of that scale. <laughs> Well, I I thank you so much. I mean, I I promise not to take up too much of your time, but I really the fact that you introduced this movie into my life, I I definitely I at least have to show it to other people when I can, when we can get back to gathering amongst other people. Um I I guess I want to say what I take away from this film is no one should be happy just being complacent. There's always something <laughs> better even if you have to wish for it. There's always something better. There's um, always something better, uh, or there's always new relationships you can you can uh, form over perfume. Yes, of course. <laughs> the uh, I thought of a really dark joke, and I I won't say it. Do I'm it, just going to cut it, out. It. I was going to say it. I learned that from my alcoholic aunt. <laughs> um. <laughs> I learned that from my dead dad. 
Oh, oh no. <laughs> this is uh, my favorite type of humor is the dark kind. So uh, I guess that ex- explains why I love Christmas so much. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kyle. I really appreciate you having you on. This is your chance to plug whatever you want. Take as much time as you need. Tell everybody where they can find you. Thank you so much, first of all, for having me. This was so much fun. I'm so glad that I got to introduce this movie to you and hopefully to your listeners as well. This is With Fanny and Alexander, my favorite Christmas movie of all time, and I make it a tradition to to watch it every year. So I'm glad to have gotten to share it with with you. Um, But you can find me on the internet, um, on Twitter at Tyle Kerner, T-Y-L-E-K-U-R-N-E-R, just a spoonerism of my name because I am a very creative person. um, And you can find my writing around the internet, um, like W Magazine and GQ and um, the New York Times. And I have a piece recently in, in W Magazine about whether House of Gucci is camp or not, or whether that actually matters in the first place. Um, <laughs> it's the important also, questions. <laughs> yes, exactly. I like to ask the important questions. Um, and um, I, I also am very glad that you, you start off with like a little Sondheim reference because I have been trying to honor his memory by, by listening to as many playlists of, of his work as possible. How could I not? Such yeah. a genius. Uh, in the words of um, Sondheim's song from Saturday Night, what more do I need? <laughs> Kyle, thank you so much. I thank really you, appreciate Kyle. you coming on. And I, I will definitely have you on the main show uh, in the new year. So, you know, With start love. thinking about a subject now because we'll do okay. it. We'll, re- we'll do all the research. And okay. I- <laughs> creating a little course has been my dream for years since I was in utero, honestly. I was creating syllabi <laughs> in my, uh, before I was born. The, I was just wearing a dunce hat. But uh, <laughs> thank, you. thank you so much, everybody, for listening as well. And I hope you continue to have a great holiday month. Thank you for listening to this The Mixed Reviews special presentation. If you want to contact us, you can always find us on Twitter at, at The Mixed Reviews. You can find us on Facebook. Just search The Mixed Reviews. You can always contact us by our email, reviewsmixed at gmail.com. Feel free to check out our Instagram at the underscore mixed underscore reviews. And if you want to continue listening to the rest of our episodes, subscribe on any major podcast app. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, Audible, Amazon. And if you do listen to us on Apple or Audible, stop by, leave us a five-star rating and write a little review. We'll read it on the show. Once again, thank you for listening, and I hope you're having a happy holiday. Fast away the old year passes, la 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 and lasses la 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 sing we joyous all